brought to you by Reuters Plus Content Studios, sponsored by Mazda. Hello and welcome to Future Energy Talks with me, Andrew Wilson. Throughout the series, I'll be speaking with industry leaders and sustainability experts, helping to accelerate progress toward the clean energy transition. Today, we focus on the importance of powering change in the community. We're discussing the role of community and decarbonisation goals. SolarAid is an international charity helping combat poverty and climate change. They provide communities in Africa with access to solar products, allowing poorer regions the ability to access safe, clean and affordable solar light. One step in the energy transition overlooked is the need to include emerging markets. In those countries, a huge percentage of the world's population have no reliable electricity grid or are not served by a grid at all. The only choice in 2023 is to rely on fossil fuel generators, battery-operated lights or kerosene lamps. Those stark choices not only bring with them the health hazards of fume inhalation and carbon monoxide poisoning, but are also inherently dirty and polluting. What we're going to talk about today is how important it is for the energy transition to be inclusive, because without assistance, not every area of the world can decarbonize. So after that lengthy introduction, I'm joined by Jamie McCloskey, Director of Programs and Partnerships at SolarAid. Jamie, great to have you with us. Good to talk to you. Good to be here, Andrew. So let's just get a little brief about what SolarAid does. Absolutely. So like any charity, SolarAid was set up to solve a problem. And it's the exact problem that you were just explaining in your introduction. And the scale of the problem is in sub-Saharan Africa that two-thirds of the population are living without electricity. So our goal is to solve that problem. And we were established in 2006 before there was you know, any of these small solar products or big solar systems. And we were working on installations, you know, big installations like you might see on, on roofs in the UK. We were doing that on schools, health clinics, but it wasn't enough. We needed to reach these populations, the two thirds of sub-Saharan Africa at scale. And that's where business-based solutions come in. So we founded our social enterprise, Sunny Money, to tackle this problem through business. And through that, we've really adopted a market catalyzation model, being the first in rural areas to work with local entrepreneurs to start building demand, awareness, and sell these affordable small solar products at scale. Okay, there's a pioneering element to that. First of all, give us an idea of the geography of where you're at at the moment. Currently, we're in Malawi and Zambia, and we were formerly also in Kenya, Tanzania and Uganda. We're no longer there because our, our goal at that point was, was market catalyzation, like I say. It's really kicking off a market for solar lights where the private sector can then come in and fulfill that demand sustainably. But we've really changed or we've realigned our focus since then because as great as it is to kick off a market, even for, say, uh, the most affordable product, which would be a $5 solar light, there are millions of families who can't afford that. So we're really honing in on where we as a charity, SolarAid and our social enterprise, Sunny Money, can reach beyond the market. And that comes through various 
financing mechanisms, but it's all delivered through a business-based lens because that's how we will reach those that cannot be reached otherwise. So what's crucial within that is the trade, not aid idea, I guess. I hear that a lot from business people in Africa, particularly saying, let's do business rather than just have handouts because there's no longevity in that. Yeah. Um, and coupled with that, you've got the pioneering idea that you lead the way, hoping that local entrepreneurs and businesses will follow. So trade, not aid, is the core tenet of the organisation. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. So the first one is, is exactly what you're saying is it, handouts are not necessarily productive. And it's our ethical belief that rural communities, whoever it may be, should have the choice to decide their future. Is it a kerosene lamp or is it a solar lantern, for example? And then there, I would say there's two other elements to this uh, to highlight, which is one is access to consumer rights. You know, if we were to go and just throw these solar lights out there for free, what happens if it breaks? Who do you call? Is there after sales service? Is there a warranty with your product so you can actually have it replaced if it's broken or repaired? And the third element is local economies. So by purely giving things away, are we helping to boost local entrepreneurship, business opportunities in the household and in the communities? Uh, we're probably not. So this is why trade, not aid, is, goes beyond the impact of just a solar product and it brings in enterprise and business. Okay, grassroots engagement. How energetically do local communities respond and engage with the kind of work that you're doing on their behalf? So what we're trying to bring is a platform for these, the entrepreneurs, the local chiefs, the local authorities, families to make their decision. But there needs to be that solution brought. For us, it's solar energy. So I've been in, a, a, in rural Uganda, this was a few years ago now, but we were working with local teachers to introduce the concept of solar energy and what a solar product is. And we explained, and we, as in my local colleagues, explained the savings you can make from throwing away your kerosene lamp. But also, at one point, my colleague held out the solar light and said, what happens if I drop this? And everyone said, it's going to explode. Because with a kerosene lamp, if you accidentally knock it, off the table, it could cause a fire, it could burn the house down. There's a lot of, sadly, a lot of deaths that happen with this. So my colleague dropped the solar product and everyone screamed. But it's just this first level of understanding of what a solar product is that we're trying to bring to these areas. And local engagement is absolutely essential because similar to giving things away, if we were to turn up and say, you know, buy this solar product, even if it was affordable, it's not embedded within local custom, with local community, and there is no opportunity for members of that community to have a, an economic opportunity, an enterprise opportunity, and a business opportunity. So you're solving that, that immediate issue, the lethality, the potential problems with kerosene, lighting, and so forth. In the back of your mind must be the practicalities of this in terms of the wider scale issue of climate change. Do you hope that that's also a pioneering influence for these local communities to lead them down a different path than the one they're actually on at the moment? So everything we do is to reach those areas where people are being left behind. And there is a fantastic off-grid solar sector that has emerged in the last few years. And it's everything from these small solar lights that I mentioned to 
big systems that power homes, schools, clinics. But the fact of the matter is that the solutions that we are working on, these business models that we want to be adopted at scale are needed to ensure we leave no one behind. And essential to that is inclusion. Because take Zambia where we are at the moment, to go to northern province, maybe a, a two-day drive for our team based in Lusaka. Well, that's not a realistic distribution network to have if you're traveling back and forth that whole way on roads that aren't necessarily, you know, like a motorway that we would, would the M5, for example. It's a much tougher terrain than that. So by localizing operations and building local economies is the way we will be able to, to transform the, these communities. One thing I just thought of, in the coffee shops up and down all the developed countries, people think, well, why don't you just cover the Sahara with solar panels and then everyone's got electricity for as much as they need around the world? Is that bonkers or does that make sense? Half and half. <laughs> for, for what we do, uh, it's not realistic because that is only useful as far as you had grid electrification. And, you know, the studio we're in here, we have it in abundance. Uh, we'll probably go home, be able to switch our lights on and off as many times as we want, turn our TV on. That's all powered by centralised grids. The reality across sub-Saharan Africa and the reason we, ha we are here is there needs to be a decentralised solution. So huge farm, great for when you have the grid, but off-grid energy solutions are required because, sadly, a lot of these terrains are very difficult and governments don't have the plans, local governments don't have the plans um, for many reasons to not extend the grid to these areas. So good idea to power the grid, but it won't solve this problem. And how does that dovetail with the wider private sector? I mean, our sponsor Mazda, for example, has a solar plant operation in Belize. Now, that's, that's direct project involvement by uh, a corporate organisation. But presumably that's helpful, that's part of the same story. It's the tip of another spear. So it's, I mean, it's, it's so critical that we are all coming together, private sector, public sector, coming together to provide renewable energy solutions. So the role that companies play, whether it is a Mazda with a big solar, solar farm or a plant, or whether it is these off-grid companies, it's absolutely essential that not only are they focusing on delivering renewable energy solutions, but that we have the, the regulatory and policy framework to enable this to happen. Because to reach the populations in the hardest to reach areas, the most rural areas where poverty levels are extremely high, there needs to be some level of not just regulatory framework, but additional financing as well because to have a purely commercial model in these areas, at least in the first instance, is extremely difficult and is hard to do. So companies, organisations, whether it's Mazda or SolarAid, there needs to be funding available, public funding or fair commercial financing to allow us as a community to work in these areas. And do you find at the at the sharp end in the local communities that people say to you, 
great, the, ker the kerosene lamp is gone. We're now getting light from this panel, which is absolutely fantastic. Can we upscale this? We also have a fridge we'd like to power. We also have other elements of our home we'd like to organise. Are you looking at an upscaling project from, downward, from down upwards? Absolutely, and this is uh, why local communities and a commercially-based approach is so key. Because the first access is transformational. And this is not just from, you know, talking to a customer here or there, it's thousands of customers we've spoke to to understand the impact of adopting, like I say, even one of these small $5 solar lights. And families feed back incredibly well onto that. You're not breathing in these toxic fumes, etc. But what's really exciting is see these families, these households climb what's known as the energy ladder. Because kerosene, as well as being dangerous and toxic, is expensive. So if you have access to a small product or even a larger product where you're able to spread the cost of it, you're saving money. And you're learning to trust the solar technology. And is that a lesson that we could learn in the developed world? Higher up the energy ladder, perhaps, but equally, now it's time we all have to climb the energy ladder in a different direction. And that change is culturally difficult for all of us. Are there lessons we can learn from seeing the enthusiasm that you're seeing at a microcosmic level in terms of embracing change in more developed countries and developed economies? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because, like you say, it's a different environment and... Embracing solar technology in these rural sub-Saharan African communities is, is a life-changing proposition. And it's really through a lack of option. And it, it's a solution that's offered that can change lives. And I think, yes, in, in, in developed economies, there is the, there's perhaps less of a stress on needing to change to uh, renewable energy and renewable technologies. But we're starting to feel that stress nonetheless, aren't we? Yes, we are. And you know, without, without getting too political, I think uh, the framework within which we as, as citizens of, of these developed countries, it's not too simple to harness solar power or wind unless it's going through the grid. Uh, you know, putting panels on your home, it's... Uh, it, can be difficult and it can be a challenge on knowing how to do that. And I think this is where part of our, our localization and our attention on working with communities is so important because it's not just going in with a product and saying, this is gonna change your life. It's working with communities, having community members communicate with each other through training, through working with entrepreneurs. And it's really seeing the opportunity that is there, but providing a very simple way of understanding the shift and making it simple to make the shift. And I think that's what we uh, make quite difficult. For well, you mentioned, frame, you mentioned frameworks. Here's a framework for you, the COP framework. Yes. Glasgow got a lot more attention around the world than previous COPs have got. Uh, and it was broadly seen as the promises made and implementation discussed at Sharm El Sheikh. We've got another COP coming, COP28. Yeah. What conversations would you like to be had at COP28? as far as your concerns are about the way forward? Yeah, so I think SolarAid will be going into every COP with the same focus because we really see the human face of climate change. And it's not just the impacts being felt in these rural sub-Saharan African areas, for example, with droughts, but also that every single night that two thirds 
of the population are going to sleep when the sun goes down at about 6 p.m. having to use a kerosene lamp, an open flame, which infects your lungs, which is extremely dangerous and expensive, this issue needs to be solved, and that should be in the discussions, because it's not a niche issue we're talking about. It's the majority of the populations that are experiencing this risk every single night. So we want to see urgency and actions that the international community can make. One of the most obvious, as well as focusing in on this and having clear policy to help guide us, is funding. So while this sector, the off-grid energy sector, which we are proud, SolarAid is proud to be a part of, to achieve SDG 7, which is by 2030, universal access to clean and affordable energy, there's a $23 billion deficit in what's needed for us to reach the two-thirds of the sub-Saharan African population. And 4.5 billion of that is needed for the solutions that organizations like SolarAid are working on, where we reach those that will not be reached any other way. So Jamie, 2023 is a year where we're all starting to sit up and notice real changes in the way the world is behaving in terms of climate change. What have you seen in Africa to add any urgency to the work that you do? It can go from persistent droughts, which of course doesn't just affect water supply, but also crops, farming. And when the majority of communities are subsistence farmers, it leads to hunger. And I, more extreme than that, we, we regularly see um, natural disasters. So in Malawi recently, we had Cyclone Freddy, which of course has enormous instant impacts on the lives of families uh, across the country. And it also makes the under-resourced infrastructure even more difficult to traverse. So it really impacts not just the lives in the short term, but also the long-term impact to an organization like SolarAid and the entrepreneurs we work with. It makes it very difficult to continue to implement these renewable energy solutions. I imagine sometimes you're kept awake at night by worrying about stuff like this, but I imagine also sometimes, perhaps after a trip down to sub-Saharan Africa, you feel heartened as well, and that you, you come back thinking, yeah, you know, actually, there, there is some progress going on. There is a bit of light there in the darkness. I mean, tell me a bit about that. Yes. So I think from, for myself personally, it's, um, we're, we're getting impatient. We want, we, we want more urgency. And I mean, like, like I said, it, is, it can be hugely heartening to see the impacts on a, not just a household scale, an individual family scale, but a community scale and a nationwide scale from the work that SolarAid and other great organizations in our sector do. And also working with my colleagues there in currently Malawi and Zambia for SolarAid. It can be fantastic, but for, it, it's also, this is such a widespread problem. So he healthcare clinics, for example, a lack of electricity means that mothers are giving birth in the dark. The household level, you have children who are trying to study at night and they may firstly be trying to do that under a toxic source of energy. But if that's knocked over, if that catches fire to your blanket, which are all real stories that we've seen over and over again, then it's good to be positive, of course. We have a positive attitude. We want to show the best side of sub-Saharan Africa, the best side of entrepreneurship in these areas, the talent and the real drive to change communities in these areas. But 
in terms of staying awake at night, we need, we, we, we need more urgency because this can't continue. But to go out to a place like Malawi and seek people to work with you and to start up local engagement, presumably that makes you very welcome, that you see people who perhaps beforehand did not have much to be do getting on with in their lives, finding something to do and finding themselves engaging with stuff that has a relevance all the way up the energy ladder. One of the, the fantastic things about solar energy is it's a solution when delivered through business-based means that it's not just a nice to have, and it's not just the social impact which is powerful, you know, changing a family's life. It's the economic opportunity, because as we've explained, the size of this problem is if, you, if you're a, a rural entrepreneur in a small, even just one village in rural Malawi, almost every member of that village, every community member can utilize the power of solar energy. So it's not just the fact that people think this is a good thing to do for my community, it's also a powerful economic opportunity for local entrepreneurs. And we work with any entrepreneur and young people out of school, maybe university, to established entrepreneurs, to also VSL, village saving and loans, women's groups. And it's almost unilaterally impactful and embraced because like I say, it's, it's the great mix of impact change with economic opportunity. Jamie, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed for coming in. Great to be here. Thank you, Andrew. Jamie McCloskey there. Solar Aid really making a difference to those communities. And if you enjoyed this episode, then please check out the rest of the series covering energy transition from all the angles. Join me, Andrew Wilson, for more future energy talks streaming now. Brought to you by Reuters Plus Content Studios. Sponsored by Mazda.